Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways in how brands interact with properties within sports, arts, film, music, you name it. Today's episode is with Zach Leonsis, Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Thanks for tuning in and hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, so while Zach is dialing on, looks like he's all good. Zach, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing really well. Pleasure to connect online, and uh, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed that the technology worked. I, I, <laughs> and I didn't know how we were going to convert me into a participant. I'm happy it worked out, and I didn't appear late, at least. Not at all. You appeared right on time. Um, Justine, my co-host, is going to be asking a few questions as well. Um, but I kind of want to get started with, you know, monumental sports and entertainment. So, you know, you, your team has been doing a lot of great stuff as it relates to investing in innovation. You know, it's, it's kind of a unique situation where you're just as much a media company as you are a sports property, right? So there's a strategic priority for your team, um, you know, from what you see around building new waves of media as well. So whether that be esports or, um, over the top streaming, like, there's a lot of different um, media models that you're working around. So I'd love to talk briefly about, you know, are you seeing any changes in media consumption or, or traditional distribution models with media that you think might be interesting as we move forward? Yeah, first, thanks for having me. It's great to connect with everyone. It's nice to have a lot of people gathered virtually. It really goes to show that even despite global crises, we can still come together and do some pretty cool things. Um, you know, we, we should probably first give you a little bit of background about our company, Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Um, we're one of the largest fully integrated sports entertainment companies in North America. We're best known for our team brands like the Washington Capitals and the Washington Wizards. Um, we also own the 2019 reigning WNBA champion uh, Mystics. Uh, we own an operate Capital One Arena. We have three other venues. We have a G League team, an NBA 2K League team. We've invested in esports and on one of the most popular esports teams in the world called Team Liquid. Um, we've got a significant media partnership with NBC Sports Washington. And uh, you know what you're referring to is our direct consumer and OTT network, Monumental Sports Network, which NBC is a partner in with us. And, you know, I think when most people look at traditional sports teams, they think of them as uh, traditional sales and marketing businesses. And there's no doubt that the traditional sales and marketing world um, is hugely significant to the day-to-day -day and, um, and monthly revenue for, for any sports team. Um, but we very much believe that we are just as much of a media company as we are a sales and marketing one. And, uh, you know, when you look at the top, highest rated events from the last year, um, live sports programming, live sports games are typically dominating that top 100 list, right? It's the Super Bowl, it's playoff games, NBA, MLB, NHL, March Madness and the like. So it makes it so painful to not have live sports happening right now. We've been doing our best to substitute that with simulated games and some esports and whatnot, trying to recreate those collective shared opportunities. Um, but from a business perspective too, um, media revenues have become increasingly significant in terms of what their share of the pie is. And so we need to be very cognizant of 
how people are consuming video. Um, for the longest time, um, and still currently, frankly, cable, linear cable um, has been the dominant platform for how live video programming has been distributed. And in the past five years specifically, obviously we've seen a huge rush, a huge growth in not only the skinny bundle business, but also in direct-to-consumer platforms, uh, led by obviously Netflix and Amazon Prime. And now you have new entrants like Disney Plus, which are growing to huge scale very quickly. And huge companies like Disney are saying, we'd be better off putting exclusive programming on a platform that drives recurring revenues as opposed to a one-time ticket purchase in a movie theater. We always want to be holding a mirror up to our community. Um, we want to be reaching lots of different audiences. In Washington, D.C., I think one of our competitive edges is that we're a particularly young community. Um, we're over 36% millennials and younger in our region, and that's a full um, three or four points higher than the national average across the top 30 U.S. cities. And so that means we need to be in front of them on the devices and platforms that they would prefer to consume on. And increasingly, that is through digital platforms. That's the cord-cutting audience. That's the cord-never audience. And if we don't find ways to reach them, um, we could whiff on an entire generation of fans. Uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable thought for us to think about the only way we could reach a fan um, is by if they went to a bar to watch our games or just via social media feed or whatnot. So um, in launching Monumental Sports Network, I think that us in partnership with NBC, we realized um, we needed to experiment and be at the forefront of what a localized regional streaming experience could look like. Um, and we've made some good progress in these past three years since we originally launched the partnership with them. So. Obviously, happy to talk streaming, happy to talk about linear, uh, traditional sports versus esports. Um, I think there's a lot of exciting things going on in the media space, specifically when it comes to live sports. And live sports is right in the middle of some big macro level changes happening industry-wide. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like um, the conversation around Monumental Sports Network just leads into, you know, um, I, I'd love to know more about the model so like, how, how did you build this in partnership with NBC and, and, and kind of, you know, how do brands get involved or what does this mean for brands and advertisers as they look more around regional sports media network uh, deals like that? Monumental Sports Network is a, uh, a paid subscriber package, just like a Netflix or a Hulu might be. We also, of course, sell uh, sponsorships and advertisements. Um, we do have a layer of free programming. We want to get a lot of users onto the platform. We're available on over a dozen different devices, applications, and platforms. Um, so you can really access our live games or our original programming pretty much anywhere you can find an internet connection, whether it's a smart um, television or your mobile device or your laptop or optimized for tablet or mobile or whatnot, too. Um, we'll do over 500 live games per year across 20 different leagues and sporting categories. We'll produce over 100 hours of original programming as well um, as on top of the on-demand replays for Capitals and Wizards games that you can uh, watch after first premiering live on NBC Sports Washington too. Um, 
you know, NBC owns a significant minority equity interest in our OTT streaming platform, the same way we own a significant uh, minority interest in our RSM partner, NBC Sports Washington. So we've created a nice symbiotic relationship between the two. I think sometimes people think about OTT and digital and they go, oh, well, that's cannibalizing. That, that's going to eat away or, or further the decay of linear cable. We don't see it that way. Um, we think the cable model is a really strong one, delivers a really great value for consumers, but we can't take our eye off the fact that there will be some subscribers that have never signed up for cable. So they, they're supportive of each other, they simulcast games, um, they often work as barker channels saying, um, you know, if you want to watch the full caps and music regular season, you should sign up for cable and watch NBC Sports Washington and vice versa. NBC Sports Washington might play a G League or a Mystics game. So if you'd like to watch the whole season, sign up for the DC Superfan package um, as well as $6.99 a month via Monumental Sports Network. And so um, we really tried to focus on building a secondary paid subscriber bundle, frankly, as the, the primary linear one continues to slowly decay. I have a question for you around... Um, and it's prompted by the fact that I was recently served to sign up for Peacock, which is a new streaming service that NBC has. Yep. And I really didn't even know what I was doing, but I was like, yeah, okay, I'm an early adopter type of person. I want to know what this is. Check it out. Right? So I'm like, yeah, I'll sign up. So I'm probably not the regular consumer willing to sign up for every kind of streaming. Like I can basically talk into my remote and find anything, but I'm paying for it. What is a consumer's propensity to acquire multiple streaming services? And how do you compete within that? I, I, it's something that I, I'm not familiar with, and I, I suspect my behavior is not typical, but maybe it is. Like, no, I what think is that's this? An, yeah, what? Can you I talk think that's about? an excellent question. And I think at some point, people do get subscription. Uh, fatigue, right? You're probably not going to sign up for a dozen individual subscription services. And I, I actually wrote an article about this. If you visit my LinkedIn page. Um, the, I'm going to go to it. <laughs> the, the cable bundle is somehow has become vilified as being too expensive and not worthwhile. And I make the argument that that couldn't be further from the truth. The economics of bundling and providing you with a couple hundred, of which each one you're paying on average, you know, cents. I mean, honestly, 10 cents a network or whatnot in carriage fees is an unbelievable value. I think the issue is that when you go through your cable bundle, you go, I only watch five to 10 channels. So I'm paying for a lot of networks that I, I maybe don't watch. So now people unsubscribe from cable and they start to subscribe to different services, but individual SVOD subscriptions are $6.99, $10.99, $14.99, and, and it goes on and on and on. Um, at some point, I think when the cord cutting and cord shaving audience goes too far, there's going to be a desire for a rebundling. And you've seen a little dose of that from Disney. So mm -hmm. he's able to bundle now ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, um, and Hulu Live into one package at a cheaper rate um, than you would get if you subscribe to each three individually. And so um, I think you're, 
you're starting to see maybe the cable bundle shed a little bit of fat, a little bit of programming that maybe people don't care about. And the cream of the crop, the best programming is able to go direct to consumer first. And we're very lucky in that we do have this competitive advantage in that live sports programming it right. is so valuable. It really, really is valuable. The only thing that really competes with it is super high-end produced original programming. And, uh, you know, probably the only program that, that comes to my mind for a while was Game of Thrones. And, right, Game of Thrones had $10 million per episode budgets. But that's what it takes to kind of compete um, with the fanaticism of, of, of live sports. And so I agree. I think that there is a fatigue. No one wants to subscribe to 12 different uh, companies. Uh, and so as we go that way, I think we'll, it's like a we may swing right. back to a, a, a rebundling. And maybe, I, you know, we've seen a huge increase in the skinny bundle adoption. Your Hulu Live, your YouTube TVs, Sling TVs, subscribership has really grown quickly. Um, unclear how long that will last, um, but it's certainly a trend to watch. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it totally is, but I, I'd love to shift to actually esports because I know um, you guys are doing some great, great work, and it's not just something that's recent like obviously there's a high level of scrutiny around esports now more than ever uh with live sports being paused but um zach your team like uh has been investing in esports for a long time now so i'd love to know you know your thought process behind why you prioritized the space four to five years ago and and what are you doing differently as it continues to evolve yeah I, I, same i would say theory of the case on streaming uh, we want to be um, focused on the short term, optimizing our big league teams um, and providing the greatest experience possible and being really, really good stewards of the team brand, being really good community members. But we also have the luxury, frankly, perhaps because we're privately owned and operated, to take a really long-term view. And one of the things that we saw really coming in the long term was the rise of esports. And I remember I first learned about esports six years ago now. I heard about, you know, the story about a League of Legends match selling out Madison Square Garden. Later found out that it was just the theater and not the actual arena. Um, but, you know, as I learned more and more and more, I, I interviewed dozens of people, publishers, media networks, team owners, players, uh, blue chip brands participating in the space. And I was stunned um, by how interesting the community was. Um, just like sports fans, these were people who were bonding over a shared passion. And it was formed organically. It wasn't stood up for commercial interest. I also noticed that esports um, was perhaps more like a social media platform as opposed to a traditional sport. Um, I used to come home all the time and I'd be typing on AOL Instant Messenger and in chat room boxes with my friends after school. Kids don't do that these days. They come home and they throw on their headsets and they're playing Fortnite and that's how they're socializing. So the engagement numbers are through the roof because it's part of your social life. It's, it's just something you do. And then it's a really interesting audience because it's primarily younger, um, highly educated. It does female, but the female population of, of gamer fans are, is definitely increasing, which is an excellent thing to see for obvious reasons. 
Um, they're engineering savvy. They're typically an affluent audience um, and just hard to reach because a lot of them are the cord cutters we've talked about that can't be reached with traditional channels. And lastly, this was a, a new sport that was making a growing business on a brand new distribution medium. And I really saw esports as the very first live event category that was digital first and linear second. Um, and as a business that's you know, partially built on traditional media, we felt we have to have a, a seat at the table. We have to learn more here. Um, so we were lucky enough to find Team Liquid and we've been uh, investors there uh, for five years now. I'm on the board and I love those guys. Um, since we've invested, um, the team's won the most prize money of any esports team on a global basis, which is fabulous. We won four straight splits in the NALCS, the League of Legends North American Championship Series. Um, we'll go to Worlds. Uh, we compete uh, in games like CSGO and Dota 2 and several others. And through our exposure with Team Liquid, we've had access to other investments too. Um, our esports holding company is called Axiomatic. Um, and Axiomatic is now an investor in companies like Epic Games, publishes Fortnite, Niantic, um, and several other smaller uh, venture capital-like opportunities. So we're long on, on esports, uh, and I think we'll continue to do in the future. Who are the who are the participants and fans of esports? Because there's the idea that it's really only a millennial crowd. So who's really consuming that now? What are some of the you know demographic information? Because I don't think I've heard any in probably 24 months, which is like 24,000 years ago now. So what what are the who are the fans? Who who is who's your audience? I think esports used to be thought of as counterculture, and frankly, just like. You know, gamers are people who sit in their basement and drink Mountain Dew and eat Cheetos. That, that's the stereotype that we're bucking. Um, I think video gaming and esports is way bigger than maybe people originally realized. And in fact, 2019 was a really interesting inflection point in entertainment and video consumption. In 2019, gaming as a category surpassed home entertainment television, and box office in terms of size and scope of revenues. Um, in just about the next two or three years, it'll surpass all of those combined. Um, there are 2 billion gamers on a worldwide basis, um, 7 billion people on the planet. It's a significant uh, percentage of people are actually playing. And I think that for a lot of people, you'd ask them, well, are you a gamer? And they'd say, no, I'm not a gamer. But if you actually look at the usage on their phone, Maybe they're playing a game on the subway for 15 minutes to and from, right. you know, on every day, you know, in a normal world on their way to work. Um, if you're playing 30 minutes games a day, you're, you're game. So maybe people don't. <laughs> I think there are plenty of people who who maybe aren't in like the stereotypical age bracket who would classify a, as a gamer. Um, so I think it's more widespread than people think, um, but it is traditionally younger, 35 and below, um, and uh, it's an engineering savvy audience. I'm always really impressed by that. You know, mm -hmm. in hockey, for example, Alex Ovechkin is very particular about his stick. He keeps it a certain way. He wants the curve of the blade a specific way. I mean, he knows if it's not right. In eSports, the players and the fans are particular about the refresh rate on their monitor and how fast their, their motherboard is. And, and these are people who are literally building their own computers. Um, I, I, 
I'm always impressed by that. Um, and it certainly forced me to upgrade my game. I've got a Team Liquid mouse here from Razer. I've got a HyperX keyboard now. Uh, I never thought I'd be upgrading my apparel like that. <laughs> I feel like there's a there's a bit of a cross pollination. You you talk about uh, Alex Ovechkin, and I know you guys have done some some cool work with Gretzky and Ovechkin playing against each other recently. Um, and you know you talked about Fortnite before, so like Travis Scott came on Fortnite. We're seeing a bunch of live concerts happening, attracting over millions of viewers. You know, are we seeing more of a cross pollination between live events and and the virtual world and can we talk a little bit about what you guys have done with that Gretzky and Ovechkin uh, showcase recently? Sure. So I guess we'll tackle those two separately. The Gretzky and um, Alex showcase, was, the great showcase, was uh, organically driven and a lot of fun. So, you know, we're very lucky in that um, OB is a great guy, a great captain, great player, cares about it, the fan base and the BC community. And he also has a fabulous relationship with, with Wayne, arguably the two greatest goal scorers in NHL history. Alex is within striking distance of, of reaching Wayne's seemingly unachievable goal total number. Um, and so they, you know, Wayne is like the ultimate hockey ambassador and gentleman. And so has really built a nice relationship there and reached out and said, why don't we do something virtually to help raise money? And so we, we simply helped them get the equipment, make sure the webcams were set up, get the graphics, get the charity component set up to this. Um, but it does go to show we, we had endemic audience tuning in. We were on the front page of Twitch, um, but we also had non-endemic traditional sports fans tuning in because how else are you going to watch Wayne Gretzky play Alex Ovechkin? I mean, that was too darn cool. And just the banter back and forth. It was a great game. Alex scored with like two seconds left to put it in the overtime. Wayne scored the first goal of the game as himself using the alumni Oilers. You can't script this stuff. It was really awesome. And they raised over $40,000 for charity, which was fabulous. Um, but, you know, in terms of just the live entertainment component, um, you know, everything has unintended consequences. And we learn a lot through this experience. I cannot wait for this crisis to be over. I cannot wait for in-person experiences again and for our uh, games to be rescheduled. Um, but I do think that, you know, Fortnite, because it has such a large audience, um, is going to become a really interesting um, delivery mechanism for live music. And you've seen the debut of Party Island now. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more concerts happening in the future. And what a great way to debut a song for Travis Scott. I mean, he had nearly 20 million people, I think, tune in and hear the song for the first time. And not just essentially watch a concert, but be a part of a virtual music video and be sharing it on Twitter and FaceTiming your friends about it. That's about as close to a shared experience as you can get without being there in person. And frankly, that's what we're all missing so much. We miss the shared experiences that we just can't have. So um, I, I think you will see many more virtual live events. Um, in channels where you already have a built-up audience. And it's cool. I feel like the Ovechkin and uh, Wayne Gretzky um, eSports event kind of happened organically, right? I think that that happened over Instagram, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you, you've got it. So uh, Alex had posted a, a post of him and his 
two-year-old son playing and uh wayne's son uh, tristan saw it and, and, and came home and said why don't we get you guys to play against each other it's great so I'd love to talk about one more thing that I found interesting. Um, you know, you, there's a there's a partnership with William Hill that your team has, and I'd love to know about, um, you know, what your thoughts are on the landscape of sports betting and, and where it's heading in the future, obviously, after a lot of this uh, hopefully blows over soon. Um, well, sports betting has been something that we have been long on for a while as well. We've uh, been investing in the space for five or six years similar to esports um first learned about the sports betting space through a great company called sport radar and sport radar is the leading data supplier for sports books daily fantasy platforms media networks and the thing that really attracted us um, was they were the leader in integrity services they leverage big data sets um, to track anomalies to see um, to correlate behavior on the court or the rink or the field against activity in the betting market. So they actually have great examples on a worldwide basis of working with local authorities to say, there's something going on here. There might be potential for match fixing. We need to investigate. And they've jailed teams, they've jailed coaches. They, they, they're really serious about it. And the integrity of our sport is always gonna be the most important thing. I think when we learn more about that and how regulated sports betting is in continents like Europe, we realize we're kind of putting our heads in the sand here in the US. Um, we should embrace this, fully regulate it, fully tax it, protect American consumers, and you know, keeping it illegal like it had been prior to the repeal of PASPA really only benefits the bad guys, the bookies and back alleys and whatnot. And um, if you go and visit a professional blue chip bookmaker's operation in Las Vegas, like William Hills, you'd be blown, blown away by how buttoned up and professional it is. I mean, these are people who are wearing suits and they look like traders. It looks like a stock trading Florida bank. Um, they go by titles like uh, you know, chief trading officer, not head bookie or anything like that. And so I really think that these companies do take consumer protection very seriously. I think that they take the integrity of sport very seriously. And ultimately, this will drive a lot of engagement, which is really good for our teams, really good for our leagues. And it's fun. There are, there are some really fun components to this. There's no secret that typically outside of a COVID um, world, um, you know, March Madness is typically the most the busiest weekend in Las Vegas, because even if you want to go and you just put 20 bucks on a game, the excitement of being in the sports bar and seeing everyone cheer, that's what people are attracted to. And so I think there's a way to present sports betting in a very responsible way um, that drives engagement around our teams and protects consumers, really enhances the fan experience and also adds new life to our building outside of the live game window. I think we're attracted by the idea of opening part of our building uh, on NFL Sundays or during pay-per-view boxing matches or UFC matches or whatnot. Um, we have an empty building most of the time, even though it's one of the busiest buildings in the country. And so to be inventive and to experiment with things like that, um, you know, we're eager to do that when we're finally able to get through all of this. I think that's where I'm actually really interested is, is how it integrates back into the, the entertainment experience that fans are going to see when they walk into a stadium. Um, so, so moving forward, I'm excited to hear 
you know, what your team is doing, but also what a number of teams are doing in that space. Um, Zach, like we we're kind of running out of time here, but this was such an interesting conversation. Uh, Justine, I don't know if you wanted to close it off, but I've been closing this off with a lot of advice for young professionals. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you want me to we can yeah, keep doing I think that? A, I think that's a good question that everyone, everyone should give their, their point of view <laughs> advice. So Zach yeah. should do it too. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. So Zach, the, the question's pretty simple. It's what's your best career advice for any young professional as they navigate through these challenges right now? So, you know, whether they want to go into sports marketing or uh, any other field, you know, how, how, how can they take this situation and turn it into a positive? I think right now, obviously the most important priority is to stay positive. And if you feel like your positivity is dipping, replace it with grit. Be tough and, you know, this isn't going to last forever. Um, I think you certainly want to hone in on a specific skill set that really um, resonates with your pr uh, previous experiences. Um, sports organizations don't want to hire you because you love the teams or you're a fan of that sport. They want to hire you because you're a great brand marketer or you're really savvy with emerging social media uh, trends or you're a great salesperson and demonstrating that first and then demonstrating that you love sports second, I think is a good prioritization. There's so many people coming, oh, I, I love caps. There's lots of caps fans. We don't employ all caps fans. So you know, focus on the skill set. Um, and then I think also, you know, have flexibility. Um, one of the challenges in finding a professional career in sports is um, we don't typically do recruiting classes like big fortune 500 companies or banks or whatnot just in time hiring and so be flexible about you know what opportunities you would consider um, there's no no typical wrong first foot in the door um, and fill the gap when it's asked of you take on when you're asked to do things outside your job responsibility don't second guess it do it and if you make a mistake, it's okay. Learn from it. Ask ask questions, um, but always be willing to uh, take on more than maybe is written in your job description. Great advice. Do you I think you can break in right now? This is the, I'm taking the question. I'm, I'm I'm hitting you with a harder question. A lot of a lot of young people are trying to find those jobs right now. So I'm yeah. getting those calls from people saying, "What do I do?" You think they need to wait a little till? teams are back in in uh full force or or you think you think they can still be networking right now candidly um candidly i do i think that you know attending virtual conferences getting to know people staying top of mind is important the patience is really critical right here i mean there are leagues right now that don't know the current status of the core products like us in the nba and the nhl the baseball season hasn't begun. Um, these are challenging times, unprecedented, and it's understandable that there are going to be key executives of teams whose sole focus is on getting back to better, getting back to normal. Um, and so, you know, have patience. Let's have empathy for that. And once we start to have more clarity about what the future might hold, um, you know, there will be opportunities in the future. But there also may be opportunities in things that we hadn't thought about before. Right. Epic Games in the live entertainment division. I don't think that video game company had thought about being a concert promoter. Maybe they will be. And so I think tracking those trends and identifying what new opportunities might emerge in the future will you know, serve people well. 
Love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Zach. This was a great conversation. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn. And join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.